GM, GM, welcome to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. Don't get caught in the hype cycle. I'm Jay Bird, and I believe that sports NFTs are going to change the world. That's why I'm carving a path for doers to confidently build and invest in Web3. Welcome, everybody, to another episode. Today, we have back on the show a past guest, LG Doucette from the first Mint, a leader in all things sports and Web3. LG consults for some of the biggest major league sports in the world. He works with some of the projects that are happening in Web3. He's got a real behind-the-scenes look into what the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, European soccer, all these large sports leagues, what are they doing in Web3 What's working? What's not working? I mean, I think we all know that NBA Top Shots was really the big blow off the top NFT moment. They sort of started the NFT run back a few years ago. Well, what about now? Now that we're in a bear market, what are these leagues really investing in and what are they looking to for the future? And LG brings all this knowledge to today's show to make sure that you guys, our listeners, understand what is happening in sports. Not only that, because LG himself, similar to us at Web3 Academy, has his own media company and community, we also talk, it is probably my favorite part of the episode, we talk at the end of the show about a new project that LG is launching. He's airdropping new NFTs, basically a rewards program of redeemables. He's airdropping to his community and that is happening right now. And he talk, walks us through how he's structuring that, which is if you're a creator or a builder, it doesn't matter whether you're in sports or what sector or category you're in, the way LG is thinking about community building, the way he's thinking about creating viral, fun experiences for his members is just really innovative and something that I think will inspire anybody building in the space. So yeah, it's going to be really a great episode from start to finish. LG Doucette from the first mint. Before we jump in, we'll just take a minute to hear from our sponsors. Modern newsletters are built on Paragraph. That's right. Paragraph is a brand new newsletter platform that combines the best parts of Web 2 and Web 3 to supercharge newsletters for both writers and readers. Build a community, not just an audience. Paragraph uses blockchain tech to allow readers to collect and own the words that matter to them. This takes reading a newsletter to the next level. With Paragraph, readers can mint, collect, and show off quotes from their favorite newsletters. This opens new possibilities like creators sharing revenue with fans. I also love their new feature, Paragraph AI. This integrates GPT-4 natively in Paragraph to create, edit, and improve your writing effortlessly with one click. And guess what? We at Web3 Academy are on board and have already moved our content over to Paragraph. We believe this is the future of newsletters because of the profound engagement it creates between creators and fans. So whether you're a creator, writer, or an avid reader, it's time to check out Paragraph and capitalize on the opportunity of being early. Oh, gee, what's up, my man? Welcome back to Web3 Academy. Yo, dude, it's so good to be back, man. I always love chatting with you. We had such a good time last time. And I think, did I fill in for you? Who did I fill in for? Did I fill you, in? You filled in for me when my, my son Jack was born. Oh, man. We had a good time. Kyle and I had a great time then, too. So, dude, always great to be back, man. Your third time I on the show? You're, you're becoming one of our most regular guests. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to do it, man. I'm happy to do it. Happy to be here. Always happy to chat anything Web3. And I uh, feel like today is a good topic. It's you know, We're like my home court today. You know what That's I mean? Right. That's really exciting because now... Now you're really going to see me talk. Like you're just going to unleash that today, which is uh, hopefully it's good. Hopefully, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. Okay. Let me tee you up to talk by starting with the headlines in Web3 and sports over the last six months. Just to give everybody an idea of where we're at here. Okay. PGA launched DraftKing NFTs. NFL launched NFL Rivals Web3 game. Good, good. NFL All Day sued by Players Union. Shaq served for FTX promos. NBA Metaverse goes bust. Dapper Labs has done three rounds of cuts this year. Tom Brady lost $30 million in FTX deal. 
The NHL <laughs> NFT launch is a total disaster. Which one of those stands out the most to you? Which is like the sexiest, like, you know, awful headline out of all the bad ones? They're all bad. They're all bad. I got to go with, with Shaq and Tom Brady on FTX just because it's it's comical to me that these guys got roped in. I hate to laugh, but I do. Oh. No, FTX was a total disaster. And I think, you know, as some people were saying it's like, well, these guys just got paid to do a promo. And yeah. Same thing for anything else. Like if somebody, Michael Jordan promotes McDonald's, it's not his fault you got fat, right? Like you could always make that kind of argument. But I think in this case, it's good. Those are good, not because I want to see Tom Brady and Shaq in trouble. I don't think they did anything wrong. But I think it's good because you saw so many celebrities, and these are A-list celebrities. We saw a lot of like D-list celebrities taking the most random crypto deal to promote mm. worse scams that I think it's good to in a way make an example out of the biggest celebrities just for the next round of bull runs so that these celebs think twice before they take the easy crypto money. Tom Brady and Shaq are going to be totally fine. They're going to be fine. They're not going to go serve time and $30 million for Tom Brady. That's a lot of money for anybody, but I think he's okay, especially with his Fox broadcasting deal kicking in this year, which is $50 million a year. Jesus. I think I think he, for 10 years. So I, I think he's good. I think he's good. He's good. Well, the, okay, the others that stand out to me are NBA Metaverse Goes Bust. I didn't even know that there was an NBA Metaverse. So curious to learn more about that. And that apparently that headline's just from last month. Yeah. And then the other one is NHL NFT launch is a total disaster. I didn't really follow it. I know NHL launched NHL Breakaway. All I saw was that they sold out. So I, from my perspective, I was like, oh, it must be working. But Maybe I'm missing something. Yeah, just yeah, I'm sure you'll preface this, but these are all just headlines. That's like if you need to catch up with what's going on, like sports NFTs, Web three. These are the select headlines of the last like half year that you know to pay attention to. So NHL convenient timing for them. It's a good time to launch a project for a season that starts in two and a half months, right? It's a good time to launch NHL NFTs. They hyped it up for months, Jay. Like way back in April, they're like, we have the best pack opening experience. And like they put out like, here's our supply for each card, which they then had to cut because the community was super mad. They're like, you can't make like 5,000 Sydney Crosby's. Like it's too much. So they already adjusted a lot. And then it came to drop day. The drop didn't work at all. Like like they had, uh, I think, MoonPay as their payment provider. And in, they were testing like a new MoonPay feature. Didn't work. And that was like, everybody tried to order packs. It got overwhelmed. Nobody was able to get anything. It was one of those situations where you're like in the Discord general chat and the chat is doing this, like yeah. million messages at once. <laughs> in the sports web three world, people have gotten used to like just raging on things, especially when it's like, they want to get a pack and the pack might have good NFTs and they can't get one. And they're just like, you know, and it's it's amazing to see that totally unjustified anger come out in chat form. But that was the first launch. And then they retried, they tried again a week later and they nailed it. And so who's buying these NFTs? Is this NHL fans onboarding into Web3 or is it just me? LG Doucette and his, his gang of <laughs> sports goons? Like gang of uh, sports goons. You know what? That's a great question. I think something that's really important to keep in mind is that a lot of people came into NFTs through NBA Top Shot, right? That was one of the first big projects. And a lot of those people are people who play fantasy sports. They call sports cards. They watch a lot of sports. Sports is how they connect with friends, especially people that have kids. It's like, well, yeah, your your one night a week is when you go with the buddies to the bar to watch the game, right? Like, I think that's you have to keep in mind the importance of sports as being something that people really enjoy, not just to watch, but to spend money on. Either bet your friend, bet on the game, play fantasy. So NFTs came in with NBA Top Shot and was like, hey, here's a whole new layer of that experience. So anybody who's even a mild fan of the NHL and is like, yeah, I'll watch a couple games a year. If my team's in the playoffs, I'll watch them go. They're going to be interested in this, especially if they're already in kind of like the crypto market, right? Yeah. If they're already in that space, spending $10 on an NHL pack for the chance at a Connor McDavid or some of the marquee players they know, 100% they'll do it. And they've been through this. We've been, this is the last major like North American Sports League to launch an NFT, maybe in the world in terms of big revenue leagues. And he has stuff out, NBA, NFL, NASCAR has NFTs. Like there's all the Euro soccer leagues have NFTs. Everybody has NFTs. The NHL did not have officially licensed NFTs. So this was the last one. So yeah, naturally there's a bit of attention on it because often the launch of some of these big IPs 
has actually been profitable in the first couple pack drops. So everybody kind of knows, right? That it's like, oh yes, of course, the first NBA Top Shot packs, they are still very valuable. The first Candy Digital Baseball packs, very valuable. You know what I mean? So this was like, okay, get the first ones because that might be good. And it's exciting. There's a new IP. People who like hockey, they're in. So, and they only sold like 700 packs, man. So it's not, it's, this wasn't like, I don't think like a hundred thousand people on the site, you know, it was maybe a couple thousand max, if not a couple hundred who got into it the first time. Yeah. It's such small numbers. It's so easy to say sell out at those numbers. So one thing we're going to talk about later, and, and I want to just get you to tease this a little bit right now is the thing I really struggle with is like, where are we going with web three in sports? Because, and I always wonder if this is a me thing or because I'm not a collector, right? So, I mean, collecting sports cards doesn't make sense to me, let alone collecting a digital version of a sports card, right? Jake comes in and just off the top rope, drop me and everything that we do. No, I'm just saying that's not me, right? And I recognize, look, that collecting is a massive, massive market. There's billions of dollars spent on collectibles every year. So even though it's not me, but I guess I struggle to understand what is the business model here that actually is going to make sense long term. Are we just going to have this totally skeuomorphic output where like all the leagues are just going to sell us digital cards and and highlight videos that we have to buy. I don't know. I, I struggled to, to see it. Where's your view on it? Yeah, that would be a shame if that's all it ever was. Mm. Given the promise of, of Web3 and NFTs and everything, it, it would be a shame if it stopped here. And early in the Top Shot days, one of their community managers would often say this on like a community call he'd do every week. He would always tell people, he's like, we're in the bottom of the first inning, right? There's still a long game to go here. What we're doing now, it, this is just the start. And I really hope that's true. I don't know if that's the right platform that's going to deliver it. But for me personally, with all this, I think like when you look at it from an outsider perspective, Jay, you're selling videos that exist on YouTube, but you're making people pay for them. And yeah. you're you're putting a cute little number and a badge beside them and putting them in a wrapper and putting them in a digital pack. And that's like, that's what score for the sports, <laughs> their IP that's free. This is free on YouTube. Like you want to watch the basketball game from last night? It's free on YouTube. Just watch it. You know, like you can just, or maybe the highlights, whatever, but the highlights are what they're selling. So that is an enormous score, but also something really significant that it's like, well, that it did work, right? That did make a lot of money for these leagues already. So there's something there and it can be evolved, especially considering that it's a tech sector, right? So things will change. So I think that it's like long-term when you really think about what resonates uh, in terms of fandom, in terms of what sports fans love and what what makes them tick and what makes sports actually work for the average person, the average family, there's two sectors I think we're going to go into. And I think all these platforms and leagues will eventually get there because they already do this. One is loyalty, right? Loyalty tracking. You already have some big brands doing stuff in the space. And I'm sure you guys have talked about this extensively, but things like Starbucks, right? Is okay, they've taken loyalty and they put it into an NFT program. Very small for now, but eventually going to grow. And even outside of actual NFT loyalty in general, now every single brand is pivoting to having an app that you scan when you go to the store and it gives you points and you get free things. That's what consumers want. So inevitably, NFT, NFT purchasing is going to have to go to that. I think we're going to take fandom to that. Anyways, we can talk about that a little later. And then ticketing is the other one. Ticketmaster prints 500 million tickets a year. How many of them are NFTs? How much do you wish you had the NFT ticket from whatever show you went to when you were 18 that you totally. were there and you cried at the concert? Steve Matthews Band. Like, That's it. There you go. <laughs> I remember the moment I felt like, you know, myself floating above the ground. Might have been a little bit of the substances at the time, you know, a joint or something like that. But like, you don't have anything that you carry with you that absolutes that experience, right? Maybe you have a photo of you. And your I have, I actually have the physical tickets. You have so the ticket. I say that I'm not a collector, but that is, you know what? I didn't think about that. I do have the physical ticket. You are a collector. You are a collector. This episode, we're going to find the collector in you, man. There's a collector in there somewhere. He doesn't want LeBron James slam dunking. He does want all his Dave Matthews interactions ever. He wants them on shake. I'm going to comment on ticketing. We'll bring it up later because I think we'll, we'll dive into that. Okay, so let's just step back for a second. All these headlines, a lot of negativity. Are these leagues making money? Like, is this 
revenue. You mentioned it seems like this is yeah. great revenue for them. So is the business model sound? And if they're making revenue, then maybe they'll just keep doing what they're doing. Good question. So we don't know exactly the terms of the revenue agreements with these leagues. This has overall been a pretty good situation for the leagues because they, first of all, they sold the license, right? They sold the license, their IP in a sector that didn't exist before. So immediately when you see like Dapper Labs and So Rare and all them, right, you know, a couple of years ago announcing that they've raised 500 million, 600 million, most of that money is to buy the license from the league that they're working with for mm -hmm. a 10 year period, right? So it's like, if you want to make golf NFTs, you got to call up the PGA and you got to license their NFT sector or whatever, and you got to pay. And, and how much would one of those licenses cost? I think like nine figures. I think that that's what you're talking. It's low nine figure deal, right? Probably any other licensing deal. Like if you want to make an NBA video game, you got to pay the NBA and the players union probably a crap load of money, right? Because video games are massive and they know that you're going to go make money. And part of the deal is also that they get part of the revenue anyway. So it's a, it's a fantastic deal for the leagues. And this is yeah. what the league office does. And you're wondering like, what does the NBA league office do? Like make decisions about uh, rules for the game? Like, yeah, that's a, that's a little bit. But the main thing they do is find ways to make money for the league, mm -hmm. right? find opportunities for revenue and growth and sectors and, and tech and all that kind of stuff. So it's expensive to get these licenses. That's why these companies raise tons of money. And also because they're tech companies, they're building platforms, they're building Dapper is, is building Flow and even SoRare, they're on Ethereum, but they're still building the actual, they, they have to build a marketplace that has millions of assets on it that get transferred on chain between wallets and all that kind of stuff, right? So it's not cheap to build this stuff. These are big tech companies. And to be a successful tech company, typically you need to show hockey stick growth, right? If a term that it's like this and then yeah. boom. And Dapper had that in March of 2021, where they went from like, hey, there's a couple hundred users on Top Shot at the end of the year to March 2021, where 300,000 people are showing up for every single drop. And that was a tech success at the time. It helped them get a giant raise. But now each of these platforms at most has 10,000 monthly buyers on their marketplace. I, that's not necessarily daily active users. It's very different than the typical tech measurement. I don't know how many people, they, they don't release those numbers. I don't know how many people check in to these tech marketplaces, these tech products every single day, but it's definitely not anywhere near what you would see for what you would consider a successful tech company like an Uber or a Facebook mm -hmm. or an Apple or or even even middle tier ones, whatever that is, right? Like a Snapchat or something like that. You know, ouch. Or Snapchat. Whatever whatever you consider like a middle tier, like this is a decent tech company. You know, they're doing well. They do $200 million of revenue a year, whatever that is. Those companies have eight figures of active users on a daily basis, right? Seven or eight figures active daily users. These companies don't have that. They might not even have 20,000 of those. They might not have 10,000 daily active users. So in a way, these companies, yes, they've been successful in creating the segment if for, you know, for, for a company like me for first minute, if I had a couple thousand active daily people, that's we're doing super well mm -hmm. media business. But if you want to be a tech unicorn, you want to be a company that raised $500 million and you're valued at a couple billion dollars, your investors and your board will not stand by for very long for you having a couple thousand daily active users. So I think, you know, these companies in the last year, they've gone through regression, like everybody else in the market, right? Time to shrink, stockpile cash, get ready for the future, build a runway, prioritize your tech stack and what you're going to build. But these, to me, it's like the idea of just selling like, hey, it's a video highlight and you collect it in a pack. That as a simple straight idea hasn't broken through yet. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it will. And obviously there's a promise that it's like, well, if the league would just market these things to their fans, maybe more people would want, it. <laughs> but I don't know if that's true because a lot of people don't want sports cards. You're probably like a, an average fan of a few leagues, maybe NBA, NFL, I don't know what you watch, but you'll probably watch playoffs or watch maybe a couple of games here and there. You'll follow on Twitter, the big highlights and stuff like For that. Sure. You're an average fan, spend a couple bucks at the bar watching it, maybe a Jersey here and there. That's an average person who's a fan. You don't have sports cards. No, not buying a sport. Even if you go to McDonald's or you go to Tim Hortons, Tim Hortons in Canada for everybody, everybody, people in the US, everybody else knows what Tim Hortons is now. It's our thing. They, a couple months ago, they had hockey cards, like pay an extra dollar and you get packs. Makes no sense to me. But it's like, why do you, most people don't even want that. And it's like, yeah. and cards for like two bucks and some of them are super legendary and whatever. It's the same value prop as these highlights. But like most people, they're like, just give me my coffee. Like I don't yeah. care. 
NHL. I don't care about cards. I Or maybe they do love the NHL, but like, I don't want any of these cards. So I think that that's where there's like a bit of a hard value proposition where it's like even sports cards don't have hundreds of millions of users. But sports cards aren't tech companies, right? Panini and Tops, those aren't tech companies. They're turning into tech. They're legacy like retail companies, right? So I think you have this kind of funny crossroads that we're at now that it's like you kickstarted the sector. How are you going to evolve it? How are you going to earn these video highlights, the idea of digital collectibles, this idea of this gamified online system of value where you have assets and you can do fun things with them? How are you going to take that to the next level for sports fans to the tune of making the average fan actually care about it a little bit? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so we talked about digital highlights as one key category or one key product that pretty much everybody NBA top shots came with the playbook and everyone else is like, cool, let's go do this. Apparently it makes money. What else is happening in sports? What are the other products that are being sold? What are the other consumer trends you're seeing in the space? Totally. So collectibles is one of them. And to get and just to finish that point, the digital memorabilia market is like a or sorry, the sports memorabilia market is something like a $30 billion annual market. And that's one of the sectors that's expected to grow like crazy over the next 10 years. Uh, and that's why companies like like Fanatics, right, Michael Rubin, that's why they're going public. That's why they're doing incredibly well is because they're taking over the memorabilia for all these sports leagues. They're they're making the jerseys, I think, for the NHL next year. They took they took some contracts like that. That's the type of company that people want to invest in that's doing well. That's like memorabilia, jerseys, like all the stuff, right? Ironically, they divested their share in Candy Digital, which was 60% of the company because they didn't, I think they just didn't want to have something in the red on their balance sheet before they, they went public. Anyways, that's a totally different point. Business point. Collectibles is one of them. Another big market within sports is fantasy, right? And the history there is that sports gambling was illegal for a long time. The one little wrinkle was that a game of chance, illegal, a game of skill, legal. So that's where fantasy was born, right? Where you choose your players, you set them for the season, you play against each other, you pick players every day who's going to do the best, you win money, DraftKings, FanDuel, tons of the commercials you see when you're watching a sports game right now, that's what they are. It's fantasy, right? Sports gambling, now legal because the leagues love the revenue from it. They make like the NFL made like $20 billion from sports gambling last year like something oh my God. yeah they leaned into it something changed like 10 years ago where they they're like let's let's make this money <laughs> let's let people gamble on our sports and then make that green you know so as a result unrelated to the gambling part but related to the fantasy part a few companies have been licensed for fantasy nfts so that's mainly so rare and DraftKings. DraftKings, the biggest fantasy sports platform that there's been, the leader in the probably in the segment, and with a very NFT friendly CEO and Matt Kalish, who loves the segment, does it? He does a show every week with Gary Vaynerchuk, where they've they've always talked about NFTs. Now I don't know what they talk about, but they did for a long time. They basically have taken what would be fantasy football on DraftKings, which is where like okay, you pick your every week, you pick one quarterback and one wide receiver who you mm-hmm. think are going to perform well, and you put five bucks on it, and you're in, entered into a pool of 20,000 other people. They've taken that, and where instead of just picking the players, you have to buy their NFT, and they release them in packs. So then, if you're like, I'm convinced that this obscure quarterback is going to be the star of the season, you can buy a 100 of that guy's NFTs, and then when he moves into a big star, everyone's going to want him in their lineup, and then you can make money. So it's actually really great for the consumer. I actually think that fantasy sports makes way more sense for the consumer, even than digital collectibles mm-hmm. too, uh, in terms of what the consumer is currently doing, because you also have a far more tech-centric consumer uh, in fantasy. Fantasy sports has always been online. People used to do it on pen and paper like in the 90s, but it's like most of what we know as fantasy sports is online. So you have people that are already using their phones in relation to sports, watching sports on their phones. So giving them NFTs and, and infusing that to me makes a lot of sense. DraftKings, very successful or relatively successful, as successful as the digital collectibles. So you're talking like eight or 9,000 active monthly buyers on the marketplace. So DraftKings has football and they have golf and UFC. So Rare has pretty much everything else. So Rare, very similar company, doesn't have the history of being a fantasy company. They've only ever existed for this purpose, but they started before everybody else. So they started making soccer NFTs, fantasy NFTs, Back in like 2018, man, like right after CryptoKitties, they founded the company, a French company, and they're the leader in the segment. So Rare Soccer obliterates every other sports NFT collection that there is to the tune of their secondary marketplace in the first half of 2023 did $65 million just for soccer. 
the next mm. closest out of any of the sports things is Top Shot at 16. So they outpaced anybody else by $50 million by a 5X. Basically. Why is that? They've been around for the longest and I think they have the best rewards. They give out the most mm. money because they can pay people in ETH for winning at soccer and you don't need to KYC to play. Uh-huh. So yes, everything else to everything else to cash out, DraftKings, Dapper, all these other things to get your money out of there. Give show me a little passport, connect your bank account. They got to verify that it's you, and then you can get your money to make sure you're doing it legally. For SoRare Soccer, they've never had to. Mm. to to receive ETH rewards. You can have as many wallets as you want. So I think that gives the the sharps you call them in terms of sports gambling and gives them like a huge advantage where they can just have tons and tons and tons of accounts and do really well. I don't know if that's necessarily most of the volume, but that and they've been around the longest. And also, you know, as North Americans. We always have to admit that we don't really realize just how big soccer is outside totally. of view. Like the MLS with Messi right now, like that is a like look at the stadium he's playing in. It, it looks like you're in a high school like freaking football game, like yeah. Mississauga or something like that. Like it's like compared to the stadiums of La Liga and the EPL, it's like pathetic that Messi's playing in the tiny little stadium. Like the English Premier League and La Liga and all the other big soccer leagues, like those in terms of revenue and star power, like massive and SoRare has had the product in market for almost five years now so they've built a lot of retention on their platform and they recently launched nba and mlb mlb on SoRare within the past year to kind of start to round out the market those haven't grown as much they've only been around for a year so it's harder to you know over time they'll convert a lot of nba and mlb fantasy players over <laughs> so rare but i think it's just a bit of a bit of a harder pull for that so it'll take them some time but when products have done well. so rare it's very crypto native. Like you, it's a crypto company. Yeah. You have to have ETH in your wallet to buy in. You know, you can't pay with credit card. You, it feels very web three. So, which is great because they've gone after that audience, but they are not set up right now. Now I know they made an announcement recently that they're going to start to enable people to purchase just with credit card and they're gonna, it sounds like abstract web three out which is super smart. I'm actually surprised that they didn't already do that because I don't think the world doesn't want NFTs, but they want to play fantasy sports and they want to do it in a better way that allows me to make more money. So why not lean into that? Yeah, exactly. So no, it makes sense. And they're like you're saying, they're very native. They've had a lot of really great investment. Nicholas Julia, who's the founder, came on our show. Really smart, really sharp dude. Uh, I think they get a lot of support from the France like tech sector. They're definitely one of like the darlings, like to the point where the CEO, Nicholas, was at the event in France where Joe Biden came to visit Emmanuel Macron. And it, they invited like important VIPs of the French I don't know, of the French scene and founder of Sora was one of those people who went to meet Biden. You know what I mean? So that's <laughs> in which they're like, yes, yeah, SoRare is one of our greatest inventions of the last couple of years. Like, <laughs> love SoRare. You know, and Macron, I mean, he's young too. He's only like 41 or something like that. So he obviously loves any like new tech NFT. Yeah. So yeah, so I think that they've done well. But again, we're still talking small potatoes. Despite their success on the soccer side, average monthly buyers is 17,000 this year. The number I see, and this is where, you know, this is why we need you on the show, LG, to give us the real numbers, because all the headlines talked about how they have 5 million users. Now, I knew that wasn't active users. That must just be terrible user helps. Yeah, it's a count. And as you said, there's nothing stopping you from having multiple accounts. So how many users do they have? It's much, much that's such, you see, that's the thing is like they wrap it in a tech. The thing is when you hear communications from these companies, Jay, it feels like you're being pitched as a VC, right? And yeah. you're like, I'm not a VC, I'm a consumer. Like I want to buy your stuff. But it's you're like, why are you gaslighting me? <laughs> like take out your phone and find me an app that you've never opened. I'm sure you can. I'm sure most people can't. Or they, an app they used once for one thing, just because the app's on your phone does not mean you are a user of that app. Totally. Well, the app, when they need to go pitch for more funding, they're like, you're in there as an account. They're like, we sure. look how many accounts, there are, millions of accounts. But it's like, how many of them actually use your website every single day? You know, like, or even on a monthly basis. So these products have to break through. So anyways, back to your, you know, your original question. Those are the two main sectors is collectibles, memorabilia, and fantasy sports gambling. Those are the two main things. There's another one that is beginning to emerge, which is gaming. And the only real player on that scene in the kind of like the current list is a game called NFL Rivals, 
which also licensed by the NFL. It's exactly like Madden. If you ever played Madden on a console, Madden's been around for a long time where you, you know, you pick your play, you throw the ball, you run it, whatever you do. It's a very similar game engine. The game is very slick. I will say I downloaded a couple months ago within an hour and a half. I'd won the Super Bowl. No big deal. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty quick to play. They have a free model where you, I just won the Super Bowl for free. I didn't pay for anything. And then you can do league play where you play other teams and you can upgrade your players by buying packs of players that are NFTs and, you know, buying expensive packs to get the legendaries, which then have more points and upgrade your players. So it's kind of like a Madden RPG mix, right? The company who made that mythical or mythic games is a gaming company, a web three gaming company. I I can't remember what else. I think they have another incumbent game called Blankos Block, which was one of the first web three games, but that's a sector I would see a lot of growth in because the thing that people don't realize about video games and web three gaming, and you guys will probably cover this a lot is that Gaming as a sector, not Web3 gaming, gaming on its own is bigger than movies and music and all that, music. All, all entertainment put together. It's yeah. bigger than the rest. So gaming to me is a, is a massive vertical for the space. And I think a lot of these companies, whether they're collectibles or their fantasy, are looking for more and more ways to fully gamify what they do, build a little art game, something, right? Rivals. Not on the same, they just launched in April. So they have a couple, maybe, maybe like a thousand users, a couple thousand users. They claimed it was a lot more recently, but numbers don't lie. I'll change numbers don't lie. I would say that they're doing well. That to me is promising because I, I got the game. I played it. It was fun to see other people getting into it. And now it's really a matter of distribution, but that's the sector, the third one in that list of fantasy, memorabilia, and gaming. And all of those make a ton of sense. We're just... We are very early. We're in a bear market. And let's be real. If you're outside of crypto trying to get into this ecosystem, it's like you got to be a freaking car mechanic. You can't just step in and throw keys in the car. Like you got to understand how to go under the hood and build the car. And then maybe you can drive it. And hey, you might lose all your funds along the way. So there's some issues there. If you were holding the budget. If you were in charge, you're one of these major sports leagues and they're like, KLG, you're leading our blockchain initiative now. What would you be focused on? That's a good question, right? Because I just stand there, you know, from the place where people heckle from. Uh, the cheap seats? No, like that. there's a term. Peanut gallery. Peanut gallery. That's it. You just sit here with a peanut gallery being like, I'm the expert of sports NFTs. And then like, I don't have any sports NFTs that I'm not running anything. So what do, what do I know? You're a podcaster. We know everything. Come on, man. <laughs> Influence rule the world now. Get used to it. But you know what? I will say I've given a lot of these platforms some good ideas. I've written threads. I've chatted with them extensively and I've tried to tell them what I like. And they, they've implemented some versions of stuff that I've talked about or other community members have talked about in terms of gamifying what they currently have and making it more interesting and using the technology a little bit more. So that I like, I definitely think the internet is a fun and weird place and it should always be a fun and weird place. And any products you develop for the internet need to be fun and weird and they need to be a social experience, right? What's the main things that people adopted in the internet was ICQ, right? Like chatting, email, right? All these other things where it's like, you know, the products that are like that, like an Amazon, yes, Amazon is massive. It's the biggest online product that there is. But God, that took like 30 years for it to become a replace. And all that did was just replace stores with convenience. But in terms of like, it took years for people to actually say they're having fun on Amazon. I don't think anybody said that. You know, so and it, nobody wanted to buy books anyways originally. So, but I think most other things like Reddit, social media, YouTube, all those are these kind of communal experiences where people can do things together, a participant or as an observer right? Like that's the heart and soul of the internet. How many people can relate to this? What I'm going to say is that you go on Facebook or on Reddit and you see a post. And the first thing you want to do is read the comments, right? You want to see what other people are saying. You want online discourse and that in itself, that's fun. That's, that's a fun, weird thing where you're like, oh, the comments, you know? So it's like the internet to me is like a really fun, weird place. And I think we need companies and we need a lot of innovation to kind of push what that is. To me, Web3 and NFTs is is the sandbox. Very few people have come in to actually create something unique with what's available. If I was the person, you know, say I'm the VP of digital innovation at the NBA, what I would be doing is finding ways for these companies that the top shots and the so rares to integrate with a lot of the other stuff that I have. 
right? I'm like, well, we've got this slew of digital products. We've got, you know, you can wear an Oculus and watch a game like your courtside. You know, you can do that kind of stuff now. I'd find a way for these to have some kind of through line where they all kind of tag together. And I would also tell our partners, these individual platforms, that it's like you need to be thinking like you are a scrappy startup. I'm going to loosen the leash. I'm going to remove my revenue targets, which every single one of these platforms have. If they don't hit the revenue targets, they're in big trouble, which ha has happened recently. Some of these companies are in a lawsuit right now because they didn't hit revenue targets, which is bad. If I could do anything, Jay, I would, if I'm Adam Silver or Roger Goodell or whoever else, I loosen the leash. I'm like, you know what? Don't worry about revenue, but I want to see you ship products every month. Mm -hmm. I want you to think like you are the scrappiest tech startup there is. Yeah and get your CEO. Your CEO has to stop flying around in private jets and has to sit in the lab with the dev team every single night until you can bring <laughs> something out that people want to use. You know, like that's what I would do and treat those licenses like they're my own little startup venture studios. That's what I it's, do. It's interesting you bring up the uh, the viewing experience because that feels like I would put that into Web3. It's not necessarily blockchain unless maybe you have some ideas of how the viewing experience changes with blockchain. But to me, we've defined Web3 as blockchain. Crypto is one pillar of Web3. AI, we believe, is another pillar of Web3. Mm. And then immersive experiences is the other pillar. Some people call it the metaverse. And a big part of that pillar is the hardware, the Apple Vision Pro, those types of things that are coming. And viewing sports is such a... It hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed is bigger TVs, right? Otherwise... Nothing has changed in the way that we view sports, but there's so much potential for that viewing experience to change. And we are an active audience for three hours. Like sports games are not short, right? So there's got to be something there. Well, here's another thing too, is that like, let's say you're watching a big game, right? You're watching the NBA finals, you're watching the Super Bowl, or just something, just every, you know, watching a boxing match or something and something massive happens. Mm -hmm. First thing you do. After you scream and high five, you take out your phone, text your group chat, go on Twitter and you're like, holy, yeah. you know, you're like, did you see that? You get the highlight on Twitter. You send the link to everybody. Like, I can't believe that. You want to see what other people are saying. You want to see comments. You want to see on Twitter what your favorite personalities are saying. Mm -hmm. I think the sports viewing experience did evolve, but in a way that we didn't really notice with second screen, right? And you've been in marketing as long as I have. You know that about 10 years ago, we were giving presentations about second screen viewing, right? How people, it's like, hey, people have a mobile or a tablet in their phones now when they're watching TV. Isn't that interesting? What can we do for them on the phone, right? On their mobile, whatever that is. And uh, there are mixed results with that. But I think now it's like, there's already a user behavior where people have their phone handy while they're watching something exciting on TV. Even think outside of sports, think reality TV, Bachelor Alley, like these big uh, Grammys, like these big events that people want to watch communally. And that's like, think about the idea that it's like when you're watching a big TV, when you're watching the Super Bowl, a hundred million other people are doing the same thing as you at the same time. That's really powerful. How often are you and a hundred million other people doing the exact same thing that besides like, you know, sleeping or eating, right? Like you know, there's something that you're all actually emotionally vested in. That's very rare these days. So I think that like those live viewing experiences, like World Cup final, all that stuff, those are really powerful. And yet... We're still just like, we're all, the main story outside of the game we talk about is like, what's going to be the best commercial? Commercial. Like, God, that's so boring. Like, <sighs> like we have to take it further than that. And this year there were some attempts at the Super Bowl, right? Like the, um, what's that guy's name? Gabriel Ledon. Uh, oh yeah. Ah, come on. Digidaiku. Yeah. Digidaiku is like, we're going to have the biggest NFT mint ever. Be ready with your phones to be a QR code. And then it was like, God, that was a so hundred people got it. And then it just, just Twitter and you know, so I think there's definitely potential there. One project that we actually worked with this past year that st has started doing that is we work with Bleacher Report on a few things. And one of them, they turn one of their shows, which is NBA on TNT, which is the show maybe you've seen clips of on social media. It's with, with Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley, uh, where they comment on NBA things. Right. And, and I love that show. That's, yeah, I really love that. A lot of memeable content from that where it's always like Shaq, you know, yeah. like super stupid or whatever. So they produced that show, uh, Bleacher Report, Turner Sports, that we work with, uh, Time Warner. And what they did is they created something called Watch to Earn Trivia. And during those shows at halftime, starting after the All-Star break, they would flash a QR code on the screen and Ernie, the host, would be like, 
Okay, guys, it's time for Watch to Earn Trivia. Click the QR code and head on over to today's trivia question is, what was the outfit Shaq was wearing when he did blah, 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 blah. And people log in, they have a trivia, they answer the question, and then they were given BR Bleacher Report tokens, which were no readable, but they were on chain. And at the end of the season, they were able to trade those in for merch or for NFTs and all this different cool stuff. And they had they had about 10,000 users this season as very low key. They made yeah. 2 million of these tokens. I don't know how many you get per trivia, I guess. But that to me, I'm like, that's, you're on to That's cool. That's, yeah, that's like a pilot project. But I was like, that's, you have... Shaq and Charles Barkley talking about this in a, in a show. Everybody loves the show. There's all these memes on the show. They get to win things that are part of the show. You know, this is good. You're making it and you're making it so easy for that end user who's just sitting there, long day of work, watching the game, phone out. Okay, I'll do this. You know, like that's fun. It makes a lot of sense. So I think there's still potential, but that's so far removed from video highlights, Jay. Right? Yeah, yeah. So far removed from fantasy video highlights, it's to the emotional tied to the creator right people love these guys they love the show mm -hmm. any new thing to do with the show they'll do it right so what about uh i want to touch on a couple more projects that you've been telling me about Lynx yeah. dow and kraus house dow we've talked about Lynx dow on the show we talked about when they i don't know if they have actually purchased the golf course or if they've more just put the bid in i don't know exactly they're playing there speed. where is they're it? playing there oh yeah so Lynx dow was basically like a membership group is a membership group for golf enthusiasts around the world. They sold a membership NFT. You can still get it now. And they are very accomplished. They have major discount deals with pretty much every merch company, a gear company that exists in the golfing world. And they, with the funds, they said, we're going to buy some golf courses. And as a member, you can go play there. And they've done that. They bought Spay Bay in Scotland for about a million pounds, uh, or I think under a million dollars US maybe. So fewer pounds than that but yeah and as a member you can just go freaking roll up there and play this beautiful scottish golf course and they have plans to do many more very well respected so yeah that's what's new with links and the other one you mentioned kraus house dow was started by a friend of mine flex chapman that is uh basically a dow that wants to buy and operate an nba team and they sold like different memberships they found different ways to to raise funds for this dream and they have come kind of close like they have relationships with a lot of different owners in the nba really? is the most recent team that changed hands in the nba and they were part of the conversations like they were invited to the table to, to offer what they had as as part of like maybe a minority stake in a larger ownership group so they're at the table i don't know i don't know what's new with them Right. I think a lot of that is hush hush and still until it happens. But the idea there that it's like you and a bunch of other people on the internet would get a small say in what like an NBA team is doing. That to me is really cool. Yeah, it's both cool. these things, Jay. Online clubs, online yeah. fun, weird things to do with other people, ideas that are actually really hard to be part of unless they're in Web3. Yeah. Well, you bring up online clubs, De Gods season three is happening. Right next week or actually tomorrow as we're, we're recording this on august 8th so tomorrow season three launches you guys will be hearing this a week from now uh, so it'll be launched by the time you hear this and i saw they sponsored a not an nba team but like a uh ice cubes there's some other basketball league big three third big three yeah big three. I think so. so like i thought that was interesting too like seeing nft brands enter into sports through sponsorship on that side like it's amazing to see these communities have such a large brand now that they can go and put their name on you know this small professional sports league absolutely man absolutely and you know a lot of that comes from being well funded having a good team and having a good reputation right just people and you up on Twitter and seeing that people really love your project. That's how you get to the table on those things. So yeah, I'm a big fan of, you know, the term I've been, I've been trying to coin lately, right? It already exists, but I've been trying to kind of throw out there and this will kind of have a through line to, to my project, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about in a few minutes is I really think about the social layer. That to me is the key term is the social layer of all this where, and especially in web three, there's all these tools, there's all these platforms, the infrastructure is being built. It's there. We know what it's going to be able to do. We know what it can do, but there are not enough people that are there actually combining the elements into something that's fun, into something that people actually care about and not necessarily something that you're trying to sell people, right? Everybody's like, I hope you make money, drop an NFT, make money. You know, it's like, I think that that's done. What social experience are you creating? What town hall are you creating? What 
if you're in a community and you're like, let's all take this plot of land and turn it into a community garden where everybody can grow their food, what's the equivalent of that in Web3? Because the land is there, the tools are there, the seeds are there, everything's there. Just nobody's saying like, hey, why don't we all do this together? Would that make a lot of sense? Right? Like nobody, not enough people are making that content to me is the social layer of the space. I don't think that, I think that's, that's where we need to encourage people to come in and start thinking about. And I think when people say, oh, community, community, like that's what we actually should be talking about. When we're talking about community is creating strong online communities where people have a, a vested mutual interest. Right. So I think even, and, and to take it all the way back to all these sports platforms, Jay, and everything, it's like, that's some of the best stuff they've done is actually given power to their communities. NBA Upshot, for example, a year and a half ago, started a program called the Team Captains Program. They gave every single, they they took every team in the NBA, they elected some of their top holders on Top Shot. So if you had the most like Boston Celtics moments or something like that, you became the team captain or some, some version of that, they vetted them. And they gave them a monthly budget and they're like, here's a monthly budget, bring other Top Shotters from that team, go to NBA games together, organize bar, make merch, make a brand, make like Celtics, top shot club and that worked so well oh, mm. love that right because it's like i am identifying with my fellow toronto raptors fans we all love top shot we're all together i went to a, a raptors and blazers game down in portland with a crew of 50 of those people this past year really yes yes that's amazing that is the internet it's so much fun. bringing people together which is as you said in the beginning that is exactly why we all why we all need the internet. Like, yeah, the e-commerce side of it and the ability for us all to get online and make money is all great. And that's, you know, can't deny that's why we're here partly, but that's incredible. And what's amazing about that is that this is where I kind of get caught because it's hard to see what the world will be like when we're all on chain, right? Because one of the big hurdles right now is, okay, great, you enable this community to happen. But it's there's not enough of us really on chain where you can create these incredible experiences. You can connect communities. You can do as a brand. You can track your customer in a way that you never could before. So you can engage because even that example, you could not do that before blockchain because you wouldn't have been able to. I guess you could have like maybe what you could do is you could go to season ticket holders and be like, dude, I dude. We, or blockchain. I'm not meeting up with strangers from the internet, man. Are you crazy? I don't murder. Like <laughs> that's what they. I'm like, no, no, no. These are these are people I've known for a long time. I've seen them buy things that matter. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like I can. You know what I mean? It's different. You're like, no, no. I know this. Person. We have the same buying behavior. Yes. And that's money talks, right? Like money is above all else. And I think that that's the part that people are missing is that this isn't just about making markets around funny pictures. Mm -hmm. It's about being in a community that you know how much other people are spending on those assets. Mm -hmm. Think about like, okay, let's say you're part of a mountain biking community. What if you could always see every single purchase somebody makes for mountain bikes, right? Like that'd be creepy. They probably don't want that. But I'm saying that this is being built with that layer of trust and visibility from the ground up. So it gives you a sense that it's like, oh, you're meeting up other, you know, Raptors fans. You're like, oh shit, here comes this guy. This guy spent like 200 grand on Raptors mode, like top shots, like yeah, guy's a big kahuna you know he's not you're not some guy there's not some creep from the internet yeah or and it is just because so many things to say about this one i just want to quickly say is that fired fired up people freak out about the privacy thing but zk proofs is going to solve that so everyone needs to mm -hmm. chill out we will actually have more privacy than we do in web 2 because right now we have all of our data is all owned by somebody else and they know everything about us anyways and so we think that we're safe but the privacy thing everyone needs to take a deep breath on blockchain zk will make sure that all your actions doesn't necessarily mean that somebody knows exactly who you are and everything you've done so that's one thing i have to say but the other thing i, I want to say here is it's not just where people put their money and that is the signal there's also what i see coming is signal around action online right and so what I mean when I say that is there is more and more things are being brought online that is not necessarily tied to money. So a good example is we had just yesterday, so a week ago when you're listening to this show, we published a show with uh, David Phelps, the founder of Joke Race. And what they are is 
basically what they said was we want to allow any brand to create a contest and i'm going to put contest in air quotes within their community so a good example would be if you're the mba and you're like what philanthropic endeavor should we do next year right and you just you say we want our fans to tell us right like you know where should we be investing our money in on the philanthropic side and what you can do is you can have all your fans come in and submit proposals, right? So everybody comes in, submits a proposal, and then your community votes on that proposal. And you can either use tokens to allow list who can vote. So it's not just like anybody can vote. You could even say, oh, you have to have done these actions in order to vote. So you're really making sure two things you're doing. One is on the submission side, it's on-chain. So on the submission side, you start to see that people are, they're committed to this, right? They're not just like, you know, fly by night because they have this wallet and this identity, right? And then on the voting side, you get to have who can vote on this? Should everyone, who should be the jury, right? And then what you develop over time, and this is where I get excited, is the example that you just gave of this Boston Celtics, you know, super fan group is, well, what can happen is there's maybe the lead of this group. He starts to, because he does all these actions and people vote on him and they like him and they support him. He builds a bit of an on-chain resume, right? And now brands, other people build trust with him. And we're not in this situation where right now where like, we kind of have to trust creators without knowing like, is what you're doing actually good? You brought it up at the beginning. How many creators have shilled shit tokens just to make a buck, right? Well, we bring our reputation on chain and that just becomes, I get so excited when I think about that. And this is what I mean. This is all, those are really great examples. The tools are there. So who's creating the social layer, right? Yeah. There's like you're saying, but it's like once the tools are a little bit more accessible and people can do this yeah. and they understand, I think that's when you'll see the explosion when people know how to actually use it. Even like social media is a good example. Like, yeah, like people our age were using it because it hit right when we were in college. And that was like, literally it was designed for us, right? By a guy our age, but it didn't really hit an inflection point with people outside our age group and our demographic until people could self-organize until there were pages and groups where you could group together based on their interests and actually start to do stuff, right? So I think it's like now we have that, but the tools are far greater and far more immense and create a far deeper layer of trust, like you're saying, and proof, and but somehow combined with better privacy, right? And better ownership of your data. So it's like that, once you hit that and you make it easy for people to use it, I think that's when you see an explosion in the space because it'll just, it'll just make so much more sense. Facebook didn't explode until everybody started saying, oh, did you see, did you do this thing? And they're like, no, they're like, well, I was on Facebook. And that's, that's when people started down is what. <laughs> They were like, why well, yeah. I was only, I was able to buy this on Facebook. I, was able to, I got the group on from my Facebook group. You know, those people. Who <laughs> yeah. It's, it's where I get excited about what Reddit's doing and I don't want to open that can of worms, but like there is stuff happening at Reddit right now that is coming very soon with community points and it's going to put communities on chain and going to, I think, be a massive onboarding ramp for communities because a lot of communities are going to start, a lot of people are going to start saying, oh, have you seen what this community is doing over on Reddit? And then they're going to go set up their community on Reddit so that they can use community points. Yeah. Anyways, Kate, let's talk about your project. You, <laughs> you just launched the first Mint Media Pass season one. That's right. Did you did you launch it yet or is it coming actually? It's out. It's out. It's been airdropped. Yeah. So quick background on the first Mint. We started as a, uh, as a podcast in early 2021, a little bit before the NFT boom. So we're, we're, I was very lucky to be one of the first voices, if not the first voice, that a lot of people heard when they wanted to learn about NFTs because Top Shot was the first big NFT in this current run and we were the main show, right? So very, very lucky. And we've been fortunate since then to we have a podcast, we have a newsletter, we have a, a fantastic community. We've had a lot of different sponsors, different uh, sponsored episodes and tweets, all that kind of stuff. We used to do live shows and now we're going to bring them back. And we are going to do live streams on YouTube as part of season one. But the way we're choosing what the content is before it, I was the editor, you know, so I was like, okay, we're going to have this guest and then we're going to open these packs and we're going to do all this fun stuff. 
I'm not choosing a single thing of that. I'm putting the, I'm putting the blueprint down, but our community is choosing who comes on the show via this media pass. Okay. So we're going to be doing 15 weeks of live stream, 15 shows. Each show is different, right? So one is trivia. Another one is like Shark Tank where anybody can come and pitch their project. And the only way to get onto them is to redeem a corresponding pass. So right now our passes are unrevealed, but... You know, if you had one, Jay, it might reveal and it might be trivia contestant and you can redeem that. Come on trivia and play for a prize. And our trivia is famous. People love our, our format of trivia, let's call it. And there's trivia pass, there's Shark Tank pass, and then there's 13 other utilities. There's 15 different experiences, we're calling them, across our ecosystem. Some of them are promotional, right? Like, okay, you come and promote your show on Shark Tank. You can write a tweet on First Mint. You can, mm -hmm. I'm not going to say what the other ones are, but different promotional ones. Mm -hmm. Others are more competitive, right? Like you come on trivia, you can co-host the show with us, right? Which is something a lot of people might want to do. And then there's also a rewards tier where it's like you might get a piece of merch or you might get a private Zoom dinner with me and my brother. My brother and I host the show together, my actual real life brother. So we're going to do a little private Zoom dinner where I'm going to send some food to your house and we're going to sit and chat and eat. And then there's still tons of other experiences. So what this does is everybody in our community who owns one of our NFTs was able to claim one. So we have 210 that are out there. And what this does is instead of you know letting our community decide what our content is by a group vote format, we are giving every single community member the agency to make one decision about this. If yours reveals and you have the tweet, then it's like, well, you can decide if you want to write a tweet on First Mint or if you want to trade that to somebody else for a different utility or if you just want to sell it to somebody who really wants that. That's kind of the fun where it's like, we know what the NFTs are, but we don't know what our community is going to care about the most. And we don't know what they're going to fight over. And we don't know who's going to come on the show because it's not up to us. It's up to our holders. So that's where it's a lot of fun. You know, and that starts on August 23rd. I think it's a bit of a first of its kind in terms of as far as like NFT media goes. It's something that we literally, you couldn't do that really in real life with your normal show. It's, it'd be too messy. Having it on chain like that makes it possible. It makes it fast. It makes it smooth. People are participating from all over the world because our holders live all over the world. And we're also, you know, from a selfish business perspective, we're able to skirt a lot of laws, like legal wrappers, because like I'm not selling any NFTs. I, I didn't do anything. I just gave her dropping these. And so these things in a way, like they don't have monetary value. You just come on the show. It's very simple. So, you know, it's an easy way to use what's there. Like I keep banging the drum of use what's available, but also create a unique experience for us in our community. Yeah. I love this concept of redeemables. I think that redeemables is powerful. It's yeah. such a powerful use case for NFTs. Gary V did this with V friends. You could redeem for vcon ticket you could i think some of the original v friend season one characters included redeemables for like meeting gary things like sort of similar things that what you're talking about yeah this kind of angles in the direction of this loyalty rewards community that you could not do this stuff before but kudos to you guys. What a fun thing for your community, right? Yeah. Now, one thing I, I am curious, what made you decide to distribute in the way you did of they're unrevealed and then they reveal? Because obviously some people are going to want certain things more than others. Did you do this because you thought it would create trading and create like community engagement if you just kind of had this reveal? What, what were your thoughts? Uh, okay, so there's two things I'll say about what my actual like belief of what NFTs can be and should be. And this is something that I think the best projects, this is what they do really, really well, these two things. One is hard decision-making for the holder. I think good NFTs make you have to pick between two really great scenarios, right? Off so far, it's been hold or sell. Right. But it's like, you know, I think that there's other layers. And I think that that's, I always think about it as like, what is the next layer that this NFT turns into? And what is the next difficult decision you have to make about your NFT? Right. So, in terms of giving it that layer of like, it's unrevealed and then it's revealed, these are different decisions you make at different stages. Right. So, you have to, right now, it's like, do I hold it? Do I sell it? What do I, and then when it reveals, do I hold it? Do I sell it? Do I use it? What do I do? Right. So it's like hard decisions. I think like that is one of the keys of proper gamification is happy choices that you have to make that are hard. 
And the other key element is like a theatrical element. I think NFTs are like the little Russian dolls that keep opening into new fit. And I think that that's one of the funnest things is that you never know what an NFT is going to get you. You never know what the new experience is going to be that's going to unlock or, or what it might turn into. And I think that that is the most important part of any proper like gamified NFT is that there's always a new twist. I had a guest on the show last year, Mac Flavel, who was one of the brains behind CryptoKitties years ago, who runs Big Head. And um, he told me, he was like, roadmaps are dumb. He's like, I don't want roadmaps. He's like, I don't want to know what's going to happen. I want to be surprised. And I really took that to heart because rather than, you know, in our blog post for this collection, yeah, I told people, I'm like, here's what they might do. But I didn't say, here's what they do exactly. You know what I mean? I didn't say, here's exactly what happens at every stage. Like, no, no, no. It should be a surprise. I think that that's fun. And I think that that's where, like, even you're saying to God, season three, you know, there's all, I think the good projects, like they kind of keep you guessing. And mm -hmm. so keeping you guessing then makes it hard for you to make decisions. And mm -hmm. I think those go really well together. And I think that the best projects in the space are ones who, who can really weave them together properly. So here's the thing that I get caught up on. And this will be my last question before we wrap here is, yeah. is the revenue side of this. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like a lot of your experiences don't cost you money, although some do. Royalties have gone to zero. I love this idea. Like we talk about this all the time at Web3 Academy of how can we give more to our community? But it's tough when I have to spend money to give something to them. What's your mindset on that? How do you think about the economics of it? That's a great question, right? And I, I think, man, I have so many thoughts, Joe. We could do a whole other podcast about this part. <laughs> so a couple of points. One, I'm a big believer in uh, a thousand true fans. Right. Yeah. That it, like, this whole concept that it's like online creators only need a thousand actual fans to make a living. And I don't mean that in the way that I look at my community as people that I want to make money off of, but I look at it as a way that it's like, it's my job to entertain a thousand people regularly. Right. And I feel like within our community, we kind of have that where it's like, well, there's a lot of people who really engage this. I don't need a million of them. I like having a couple hundred, a couple thousand who really love what we do. And so when I'm planning projects like this, it's almost just like more marketing for our ethos. It's like, what is, how do we make first mint even more first mint than how much it first mints, right? It's like, this is, is what that is. And that grows our profile. It creates a deeper affinity for who we are. And then as a result, then if I do that well, then I can monetize that affinity in different ways. Like, you know, by rebooting our brand with this, we would have opportunities to, maybe we could sell more NFTs that are like Patreon style. Like, hey, every month we're selling a new fun NFT and it just goes to supporting the show. By building deeper affinity, we're able to do those types of things. Not make money, just stay alive. So I think that's one belief I have that I think at First Mint, that's kind of what I lead with a lot. And the other one I think is that we're in a bear market of one of the most creative industries I think that's ever existed. Our job right now is to innovate. There's nothing else to do. The big money comes later. When people come and there's all this money and millions of things are mooning all over the place, then that's when you can release things that are sales that can, you know, are meant to be big and be this big, exciting thing. Hopefully not a rug, but it's like in the bear market, it's really hard to make money. And I think trying to think about your next steps as how does this make money? How does this make us a lot of money? That's not really possible right now. You know what I mean? Like that's why so few companies are being funded because nobody, even the ones that are trying to say, here's how we'll make money, the VCs don't believe them, right? So it's like, for me, I think it's a little ridiculous for me to go out and be like, okay, how can I, you know, make X amount of money from selling NFTs right now? I don't think that's the right thing to do. I think by doing really cool, fun, innovative stuff, we're going to help push the industry forward. And then there'll be this time to make that money, whatever that is, sponsorship, yeah. selling NFTs, whatever it is, right? It might might never sell NFTs to our people. I love the perspective. I think that I don't approach it from the perspective of I need to make money, but I need to cover costs, right? Yeah. Or at least come close, right? For example, I love the idea of redeemables. So I would love to airdrop a whole bunch of our fans, a merch redeemable, right? Or like a pass to a merch store where they can go into that merch store and they can redeem it for a hat or a t-shirt or something like that. But like, that's expensive, right? Yeah. Like, you know, that's going to cost us a lot of money. So I like that you came at it from the perspective of 
there seems like there's a bunch of these redeemables that don't cost you money, such as having somebody on your podcast or letting them do a tweet, which I think is very smart. And that's the real, some of the magic of digital loyalty is that you can create these experiences that don't cost you anything for the brand. And that is amazing. Whereas in the past, all loyalty was basically you had to pay to produce a product, which you then had to ship to your customer, which costs you a lot of money. So I think that's great. I love what you're doing. So I'm excited to watch from the sideline. I might have to get one of these uh, season one passes. What was the cost right now? I think there's an offer on the collection for 0.04 ETH. So like 60 bucks. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. I think the market will pick up once they actually reveal. Because people don't know what they're getting, right? When so did they reveal? Might get a weird one. Probably in a week from now. Okay. Okay. So by the time this comes out, they'll be probably yes. right around then. That's, okay. And the last thing I'll say on, on your last bit there about like the cost of infrastructure manufacturing and all that kind of stuff is to bring it all the way back to, you know, I think what you, we both consider the segment leader is Reddit. Reddit's been making money on fake internet points for years. They started letting people buy badges and give them to people. You can then use in a store, like what the hell? You know what I mean? They're making money from letting people put a little gold like shield beside their post. Like that is insane. But that shows you they've been able to monetize status and comment and social discourse, right? So I think that's exactly it where I'm like, what doesn't cost me money that people want? Very cool. I have a bunch of boxes of old merch that I already made. So I had some way to offload it. That's the other secret. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But good questions, man. It's good. It's good to think about the business side for sure for all this and the way to simulate. Totally. And so many of our listeners, like, it's not just investors it's not just the users and the community members it's also the builders right because most people that are in this space right now are you're here because you're building something right yeah. and i love your perspective of just our job is to experiment and to innovate and to try things so shout out to you and the team at the first mint for experimenting excited to follow the journey we'll put a link in the show notes to the collection so if somebody wants to grab a season one pass you can do that lg as always, such a pleasure to have you on the show. Bro, so good to see you, man. Thanks for the chat. Always, I feel like we got really hyped up in the middle of this one. I feel like we got really on a horse there and that was, that was a fun ride. So thanks, man. Good times. I love it. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Have yourselves a great day. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and subscribe or follow so that you don't miss the next one. While you're at it, there's a link in the description for our free newsletter where we provide timely and relevant Web3 insights so you can confidently build and invest in Web3. Make sure to subscribe today. One final note. This podcast is for educational purposes only and nothing we say is financial advice. Crypto and Web3 are risky and you should never invest more than you're willing to lose. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.